I'm John Evrenol, director of Baskin. Um, the first Turkish horror film to be ever um, released in America. It's going to be very soon. And it's also like one of the handful of um, Turkish films ever to be exported to the States, and let alone a limited theat theatrical release it's going to be. And then like um, early 2016, it's going to be on VOD and Blu-ray and DVD. And we premiered at uh, Midnight Madness, Toronto, and then in our States premiere in Austin Fantastic Fest, we won the Best New Director Award and we're going to be releasing the film in Turkey next month and it's going to be like uh, crazy reactions we're expecting because like never before in Turkey like uh, people are used to like a, a domestic film with this much intensity of gore in it and it's going to be like good production value which again like Turks are not used to like Turkish horror and genre films being good production value and I think it's going to be interesting we're super happy, thrilled, exhilarated about this whole therapy this is a micro-budget, micro-budget film. We'll like, uh, we are like well under uh, 500 grand. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. 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 Hi. Follow us on Instagram at Speak All Evil Pod and come see us on the rooftop at Bayside Bowl July 21st. That's a Thursday night, 8.30 p.m. for the second Speak All Evil Presents film screening. We're going to be showing the 1982 George Romero Stephen King collaborative classic Creep Show. And that is a free event once again. Uh, just bring yourself. Going to be a really good time. Very excited about that. This week, I picked a couple sight unseen for us. I had never seen either of these movies, but I was very interested in both of them. We're going to start with a movie from 2015 called Baskin. That's B-A-S-K-I-N. This is on VOD, and this is a Turkish film. First movie we've seen from Turkey on the podcast. And this is another writer-director feature debut. This was also another film that started life as a short uh, by the same name and then was expanded into feature length. This one will pop up from time to time on extreme horror lists. That's the only way I really know about Baskin because I would see it every once in a while. I wouldn't put it in that category necessarily, but I can see why some people might. Um, this is a very simple story. It's about a squad of cops. There's five cops. There's the chief. There's the uh, tough guy. There's the weird guy. There's the older guy. And there's the rookie. And they all ride around in a like cop van and uh, seem to spend a lot of time hanging out at restaurants, gambling, and telling body stories and beating up waiters and stuff like that. But on this night, they get a call for backup. One of their other, uh, some other cops are at some place in a, uh, I guess kind of like a mysterious and foreboding area of town or a neighborhood or whatever. And they arrive at the call and it's a, a, an abandoned building that used to be a police precinct of some kind. The squad cars are outside, but they don't see any cops. They walk into the building, and they walk into hell. That's it. That's pretty much the story of Baskin. I love this one. This is really fun, and this is VOD right now. There aren't a lot of 
horror movies from Turkey, commercially released. There, there are some out there, but this definitely seemed like the wildest. And we've talked about Hellraiser quite a bit lately, and this is definitely uh, of the Hellraiser lineage. In fact, the filmmaker mentioned Hellraiser, The Descent, Nightmare on Elm Street, Apocalypse Now, Only God Forgives, as some of his influences uh, making this movie. This isn't anything I didn't think that was, like, mind-blowing, but it's a good, solid horror, gross-out. There's a lot of, like, theological stuff going on. I tried to stay with that as much as I could. I know I really didn't get a whole lot out of it. I don't know if you guys did, but I really enjoyed Baskin. This was a movie, for Mm. sure. Mm -hmm. Mm. Definitely a film, I think. I really honestly have no idea what I watched for an hour and a half. Um, it starts off with the weird little kid who is turns out to be the rookie. Yes, is that what I yeah, gathered? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, hearing like weird sex noises coming from his mom's room, and then he's attacked by a bloody-handed person, and then all of a sudden we're just seeing all these butthole cops fight waiters and such um it's just real fun um and then they're called to the derelict building which is hell apparently good to know i kind of gave him the rundown no i know but what i'm saying is this is what i i'm talking it through because i had no fucking idea what was going on i'm this is how i'm this is how i'm coping quite the journey So, you know, then weird face guy is the devil, perhaps. Maybe. I guess, yeah. Or he's the daddy. Don't know. No idea. Daddy of the week. You don't know. (laughs) There are no no daddies in this one, for the love of God. This is another instance of a movie in which I was watching it and was just like, well, they'll probably explain what this movie means to me so i'm just gonna watch it and and try to keep up um because otherwise i would have been lost i had i i think it just all went over my head um visually very dark and grimy and stressful which i think you know makes it a very effective uh film in that way um, also, you know, a lot of blood and gory and like grossly profane things. A lot of blood orgies, you know. I love a good blood orgy. Mm, like four yeah. times, four separate times in a movie for sure. Yeah. Not really sure if this is going to uh, end up on my rewatch list. Um, for You're never going to watch time. this again as long as you live. Let's be but, real you here. You know, you might, you guys, I'm, I'd be intrigued if you guys um, could change my mind on that one. This is a great one. Thank you, Trent. I can't believe you'd never seen this. This is one that I followed because of Bloody Disgusting. They were covering this a ton, so I couldn't wait for this to come out. So I, I saw this like immediately as, I could, uh, as soon as I could get my hands on it. I'm going to disagree that this is not extreme horror. I think this is absolutely extreme horror. It's bonkers yeah. at the end. It's pretty extreme, yeah. I've seen this four or five times. And I don't remember watching this and being as disturbed as I was this time, which is weird because you'd think that I would have gotten harder over the years. I mean, I've, you know, it's seven years since this movie came out. Maybe I'm getting a little softer or maybe I just picked the right day to watch this movie and be a little, you know, grossed out and a little scared. At the top, when you said it's a simple story, 
That couldn't be farther from the truth. This is an absolute mindfuck. And I fell deeply down a rabbit hole. So again, I want to thank you because I think I watched this movie the entire time, like uh, previous times, thinking, okay, it is. It's just some cops. They stumble into hell. And here we go. Give, simple give, give plot, me some harm. I should say. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll distinguish. I think the plot is simple. The story, I guess, can go as deep as you want. And it's honestly, it's not that easy to research. No. Like Trent said, it's a Turkish movie, and it's steeped in Turkish folklore and theology. Um, I would say that, that the characters, this was largely done by amateur or even non-actors. Great performances. Not, not a yeah. ton asked of them, but like the scenes that mattered where they needed to act, they did. Baba, one of the most terrifying characters that I've seen in a movie in a long time. Easily Daddy of the Week. He can come over anytime. <sighs> And, oh, I don't know. What about the cop from the next movie? Might be Daddy of the Week. What I noticed the most this time, and maybe it's I was like watching it in the dark, and I had the volume like way up. The sound design on this movie is disgusting. It is so gross. Like when they're doing some of their like nasty scenes, like what you're seeing is already pretty gross. But just listen, like it's just it's wet. And it's uh, nasty. Um, <laughs> I was very grossed out, but that is actually a compliment to the people that did the sound design uh, and post on this. One knock, uh, when it got like super hellish, uh, it was the cinematography was a little bit video gamey for me. It got like a little bit too like nine inch nails closer um, in terms of like cutscenes and like the camera moving around. And I, I sort of wanted to continue to be grossed out and for them to kind of like stay on some shots. But either way, this is amazing. I always loved this movie. Uh, but Trent, thank you for picking it, uh, and making me watch it through the lens of the show so that I could actually like digest it for lack of a better word. No pun intended. One of the things I would credit this movie for having is it doesn't look like they spent a lot of money on effects and stuff. It's all practical yeah. and it looks really good. It's really scary. Um, there's a lot of like obstruction of view, whether it be what the people are wearing or the camera shots. But main thing I liked about this is the cops fucking get it. <laughs> yeah, this is a harsh <laughs> indictment on law enforcement. A cab. It's nice to see a movie where, you know, you have these bumbling, rude cops and you don't have to wait till the end of the movie. It just kind of like happens all throughout. As soon as they establish that these guys or are, are, I'm not going to say all of them, but there's a lot of like really rude talk going around and they're they're just the shittiest corrupt cops. I was glad to see them enter, I guess, what you describe as hell. I haven't watched too many Turkish horror movies um, but this has like a very like mixed up identity for me. And it's like nightmare, existential, paranormal cult. There's a dungeon, there's a ghost, there's other dimensions and, and people from other dimensions and cop folklore, horror, it, all that being said, uh, I do think that it remains consistent and it creates a world that with all these influences, it doesn't seem like it's all over the place. It's it's pretty cohesive. And I found this movie, like you, Kevin, 
I thought this was terrifying this time when I watched it. Uh, I thought it was very scary. I kind of got the feeling from everybody, but that they didn't really love this movie. I love this movie. I thought this no, movie I love was it. great. I love it. I mean, this is a yeah, perfect, love it perfect pick for me to revisit something. It scared the crap out of me. It grossed me out. And it let me sit and nerd out and fall down rabbit holes online for hours. I did not love this movie. I just want to reiterate, make sure everybody's aware. Uh, okay. I wasn't sure. Yeah, Thank you. Um, this, <laughs> Dave, you, you mentioned the special effects. This was a $350,000 budget. That's if wild. we are to believe the internet... Not even a half a million dollars went into this movie. And I mean, you've got entrails galore. You've got sex slaves. You've got stomachs being pulled open, eyes being gouged. I mean, I question that number, but this was also like um, kind of a guerrilla style shoot from what I understand. Like we talked about in the movie Maniac, they were shooting without permits in different parts of Turkey and they were doing these scenes with like, you know, naked sex slaves and guys covered in blood and all this wacky stuff. They were uh, really, you know, scared about like if somebody stumbled onto what the hell they were doing without permits, it might not go over well. They got a car in the lake and all this stuff. So um, this is, it seems like it was pretty like on the street filmmaking. And 100% at night, like we've talked, Trent, I know like one of your uh, favorite things. Oh, yeah. You love to find like a good horror movie that takes place like during the day primarily yeah uh, this is like all every single scene in this movie is shot in the dead of night right and they really did that I, I i didn't write down the number but i think it was somewhere like between like 20 29 days or something that they filmed this uh which is pr- and pretty it takes quick. place on one night oh yeah this is yeah this it's, is a quick it's the one. same night talk about being scared like anytime you start a movie with a kid listening to his mom getting some that's terrifying mm-hmm and it seemed like normal sex sounds to me. I, I didn't think that part was scary. It just was it's terrifying. I just, I just never like to see I, that. Yeah, but you just never. It's like in the Babadook when you know she's just trying to have a moment. Wait, what? What is it? Huh? What is it called, Cat? The Babadook. Duke. Did I say it wrong? Babadook. Duke, Duke, Duke. Listen. All right. Do you read a book? <laughs> hey, I don't understand why you didn't like this movie more, Kat. Are you like a Blue Lives Matter uh, person? I just, you know, the thing is, is I just really love the police. Hey, how about the uh, the Goodfellas scene? I really appreciated, you know, I didn't read anything where the filmmaker mentioned Scorsese or Goodfellas, but you have almost the exact scene, you know, I'm a clown to you. That's how the whole waiter thing happens. Mm-hmm. I amuse you. You think I'm funny. The guy's laughing, you know, kind of just serving them, and they're all laughing, so he laughs. And then uh, you have that whole scene right out of Goodfellas. I thought that was pretty funny and demonstrated the um, the mendacity of these cops. You know, there was um, a week before you picked this movie, like on Instagram or Twitter or something, I saw a meme that had the quote from this movie that was, um, hell is not a place you go, but something you carry around with you. Right. And it was quoted. Um, I had to research it cause I watched the movie and I was like, that's the quote that I just saw on a meme. Um, the, the author of the book that that comes from is Neil Gaiman. I didn't realize that was a direct rip from Gaiman from the Sandman series, which was like 1990. So, um, but you know, I, it doesn't surprise me though, just because the, the filmmaker here had listed so many classic, 
horror movies. I mean, if you're into classic horror movies, there's a good chance you're into Neil Gaiman too. So that doesn't surprise me that he would know that stuff. Did you guys um, know that one, one of the few like little like trivia tidbits I found on this and I didn't recognize at the time when the guy gets his eye stabbed and it's a, an aggressive, like uh, it's a real uh, so eye stab or uh. something. The, the, um, the music cuts in. The music there is from Cannibal Holocaust. Oh. Oh. Fun. Yeah. That eyeball scene is so disgusting. Stabs his eye out and then sticks his tongue in the socket. I was like, ah, oh, I cannot watch this movie anymore. I saw something about, like, the seven deadly sins yep. being represented in this movie, which... Um, I, I thought that was like from the Christian Bible, so I, I don't know how how it's a little that is. loose so, there. Yeah, I was trying to like come up with where they are. Like when they're the, the movie opens, the cops are all in the diner, um, and so you get like they're they're gambling and they're talking about sex. So you you get um, maybe like sloth. I thought because they're like on the job and they're just like hanging out. Um, you definitely get wrath because. The tough guy, the good fellow scene, he beats the shit out of the waiter. Um, you definitely get lust because they talk about all their sexual conquests. Yep. Um, and it's a ton of like, they're all like really homophobic and transphobic. So I, I was trying to like, like find all the various sins in this pride, I guess was maybe in the restaurant too. I don't, I don't really know if that was um, something that was intended or not. I would say that tough guy is lust because... He what gets his? I thought he was wrath. He gets his eyes cut out, and he was the one that was bragging about having sex. And then, yeah, then they wrap his head up, like after he cuts his eyes out, and they make him have sex. There's some forced oh, yeah. sexy time <laughs> yeah. where a woman With a- that I don't know if it's a mask or like she has like a goat head or something. It's so. I disgusting. didn't know that the gender was really. I didn't know that the gender was clear on the the gimp. They have like a big like no, there are boobs. Goat skull. Oh, was there? I didn't really notice the boobs. I guess there's a lot going. on. That was on very Mike P. Nelson wrong turn kind of vibes, uh, yeah, with the eye gouging turn. and the dungeon. Yeah, I thought about um, Jacob's ladder in mm. this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, and definitely, definitely, we've never talked about session nine. That's that's a big cult favorite um, that takes place in an old abandoned asylum. So. Both of those kind of came. Oh, Kevin, what was that? I I was going to ask you. Remember the uh, the Asian found footage movie we talked about on the Patreon where they go to the asylum. What was that movie? Gunjim Haunted Asylum. Yeah, reminded me a little bit of that too. Yeah, I can see that. Um, well, can you can you enlighten us a little bit on the uh, on the theology? A, a little bit. I mean, I can give you some cliff notes. Um, essentially, you have. Arda, who is the rookie that Trent was talking about. So he's the innocent one in all of this. And then you have Remzi, who's kind of the mentor. And like what Kat was talking about, the beginning of the movie starts with Arda having a dream that he has all the time of a memory where he went to the door where his mom was, for all intents and purposes that we're led to believe, having sex. And then a really creepy clawed hand comes out. So at some at some point we find out that Arda's parents died in a car crash and Arda's uncle asked Remzi to take care of him. So Remzi has been looking over Arda all this time. So when they first start getting to 
uh, or, or actually it's when they're at the restaurant, you actually see Baba, who ends up being the devil, you see him bringing meat to the restaurant that they're all at. So he's the, he's the weird cloaked figure that's bringing that meat that ends up getting served to them. Yeah. Um, so they eat it. So Safi, who is the driver, uh, who comes off as sort of like, I think, Trent, you would refer to him as the weird guy at the beginning. He's he, sort of like the yeah, weird guy. Yeah, he's the first one that starts kind of losing his mind. and Yeah. So one of, one of the things in Turkish superstition is you're not supposed to look in the mirror after dark. So one of the first times we see Safi, he's eaten the meat, huh. and then he looks in the mirror and, like, freaks out for no reason That's at all. He, yeah. Because you, you yeah. could see, like, an image of bad things to come. Anyway, they get they suddenly get a call that there is another bunch of cops that need backup. So they start heading there. Uh, so then you see Safi, he's scratching the bottom of his foot, and that is another superstition in, in Turkey. Uh, that okay. shows of something bad to come. And then at some point, uh, so, so there's a religion called Zoroastrianism that is hundreds and hundreds of years old. And part of that is when you're going to like meet your maker or have something um, in terms of like, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like retribution, basically like paying for what you've done you cross a bridge, and uh, when you cross that bridge, I don't know if you guys remember, there's a scene where they're driving the van over the bridge, and Can uh, yeah. uh, Evernall like, flips it upside down. So like the shot is actually the van dro- driving across the river like upside down. So then mm. they uh, crash, and they're dumped into the water, and you see a scene where Arda... The, the rookie is being pulled out of the water by like this giant hand, uh, which is a really beautiful shot that apparently took them like three nights to get. So he's pulled out. So in Zoroastrianism, sorry, this is such a hard word to say, Zoroastrianism, it says that when the Savior will be uh, reborn in water, and what I think is happening is... And Dave, to your point, like we carry hell with us at all the time. Ramsey has always known that like this was going to happen. He's always known that he's been carrying hell with him. He also knows that Arda can see this, that Arda can like sense it. So like they have that weird dream scene in the middle of the movie where like shit's going bad. But then all of a sudden, inexplicably, Arda and Ramsey are back at the diner, just the two of them. And Ramsey is telling Arda, like, just just really look and all of a sudden, Arda can see, like, yeah, there's, like, a fucking, like, demon behind you. So, Remzi has always known. He's been protecting Arda this entire time. And that's why Remzi eventually gives Arda the key. And Arda gets the key, kills Baba, who is, you know, the devil. But, like, Baba explains, like, this is a night where dimensions can cross with each other. And Arda ends up killing Baba, getting out, but then runs and gets hit by their own van. <laughs> gets hit yeah. by their own yeah. van, but what? Are, but, and then the van crashes again. So earlier in the movie, like the van hit something, and and it was Arda. But now Arda has come out. He's defeated Baba. He still gets killed, but he saved them all from their infinite hell loop because you see the van sinking into the river again and it's empty. There's nobody in it. 
So essentially, uh, Arda was the savior the entire time. Remzi had been looking out for him and grooming him. The reason that when Baba went to Remzi and Remzi was like, I'm not going to give in to you at all, is because he knew that he needed to die, that Arda would get the key, Arda would kill Baba, and he would he, Arda ultimately would be sacrificed, but everybody's soul would be free. Uh, speaking of Baba's death, I really liked his death quite a bit. I like the extra um, bashing in of the head. And, mm. you know, we keep talking about him as Daddy the Week, um, but this guy's bald. He reminds me of the guy in The Princess Bride who challenges him to a, a battle of wits. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who's like inconceivable. <laughs> like that guy meets like Smeagol from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and he put them together and somehow he's actually, you know, scary. But I thought oh, his it demise was... It would be Gollum. He has a very rare uh, skin condition that gives him a really bizarre appearance. And there's no oh. uh, prosthetic there. That's actually just what he looks like. And I, I've seen like interviews with him and stuff. And, yeah, he was um, a car wash employee. Yeah, he'd never acted before. He was just, he was chosen because of the way he looked and he did a great job. Um, Kevin, just just a couple quick questions. Now, I don't want to launch too far down any anything here, but I just wondering if you had anything on the frogs? I mean, I think it's all theological. I think it's all, like, yeah. the nonsense I just spewed is the most that I could pull together to try to describe this movie. I saw something about doorways, too, and I was going to pay very close attention to all the doorways in the movie, but then I, I forgot, uh, even <laughs> even the second time, to look at all the doorways. But I know there's doorways in there. But um, I guess what I'd like to do with you guys right now is reenact the pact that the rookie tells his mentor that he made with his childhood friend. He tells this whole story about when he was a kid, he and his best friend, they made a pact that whoever dies first, if they can, they have to show themselves in a non-scary way to the other. And what, what happens in the movie is he tells the story that he, he gets home that night after making this pact and a bunch of scary stuff happens. And then it turns out that his friend died shortly after uh, they parted ways. So if you guys are in, I'd like to make a pact with the three of you right now, all mm -hmm. four of us. Whoever dies first will show themselves to the others without scaring them, not in a scary way. That's a no, deal breaker. No way. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to do the pact? I mean, I'll, I'll come back. I'll come see you, but I'm, I'm not going to come back not scary. That takes all the fun out of being dead. That's the only thing I look forward to in death yeah. is that I'll be scarier. If you exactly. hear a, yeah. yes. you know it's me because I'm scaring you. That's how I'm going to sound as a ghost. I'm going to be very true to form. <laughs> All right, my next pick for this week is a 1981 cult classic called Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. This is uh, only available on Shutter right now, uh, or if you have the AMC add-on for Prime. I had never heard of this movie. 
But this was shown on The Last Drive-In, which is a show every night on Shudder. Not every night, every Friday night on Shudder. They do this really cool thing where they have a double feature uh, on the Shudder TV channel, which is just like their constant like random streaming stuff. Um, so they have this show called The Last Drive-In. It's hosted by um, Joe Bob Briggs, who's a comedian who's been – he's hosted this show long before Shudder. Kind of like an old-style, old-school TV-style thing where um, instead of commercials – it just it cuts back to Joe Bob and he's like in his little um, studio and he's got his sidekicks that come in and out and he like gives you all kinds of information about the movie. He's a really really knowledgeable guy. Knows a lot more than us. I would aspire to the scholarship, the horror scholarship of Joe Bob Briggs. And he also does like various like comedy bits. So not really my thing. I don't really want to have my movie interrupted that way, but. One cool thing they do is they don't announce the movies that they're going to show until it's time for the show. So every Friday night when it gets ready for the double feature, they announce the movies. And I happened to be on Twitter last Friday. And what people do is they like they kind of like live tweet and follow along with the um, last drive in hashtag. So you kind of see like what's going on and what people's reactions are. And as soon as uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker was announced... The reaction that I saw was uh, one that got my attention. There were a lot of people saying, like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're showing this movie. (laughs) This is a lost gem, a cult classic. And then other people who had never heard of it, who in very short order started reacting like, what is this movie? So I was like, I got to see this movie. I started looking into it. Um, It was released in 81, but it was re-released in 1983 under the much lamer title of Night warning, mm. and and that's where that's how it originally Boo, went to VHS. Terrible. Yeah, I I saw a quote from the director saying that night warning sounded like a uh, a navy rescue adventure movie or something. Which <laughs> totally does. Um, this is a I mean pretty simple story. It's about young Billy Lynch. He's a high school senior, and he's vying for a, a basketball scholarship, uh, the same college that his sweetheart is going. Billy uh, has been raised since the age of three by his auntie Cheryl, and when Cheryl hears about this scholarship plan, she does not like it. She had visions of uh, Billy staying at home with her and getting a job and contributing to the household, and this idea of him leaving sends her into a murderous rage, and she kills a guy right in the house. Unfortunately, what happens is that Billy becomes the prime suspect because the detective Joe Carlson, who is one of the great horror villains and uh, worst cops ever. This is kind of a, a ACAB week, actually, because yeah. this, this guy is way worse cop than the, uh, if you thought the uh, the cops from Baskin were bad, this guy. <laughs> That's like the story. This is kind of, uh, I, I had never heard the term hag horror before, but this is kind of like uh, you what? know, whatever, whatever happened to Baby Jane. This idea of like the oh, whole, this is this is uh, news. Evil I hag. Need, yeah, we need to explore that. I, I need you can't horror. don't gloss over this. I, I need. How did you find this? Uh, how did you find this term? And can you please explain it to me now? I, I don't know. I was you know reading some stuff. You know, I go in there, I read about this stuff, and somebody mentioned hag horror. There's one twist in this movie. We can do a spoiler round at the end, but there is one reveal, one twist that we can't spoil until we're done. I love this movie. Obviously, needless to say, this is a new favorite of mine. Thank you, Shudder, 
for introducing me to Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. This is as uh, sordid and seedy and uh, nasty as they come. Had a great time. Watched this a few times. This was a video nasty, by the way. Uh, it really checks all the boxes here. Great, great movie. Highly recommend this one. I um, always look at the movies that come on to Shudder when they first hit. And when this came out, I think it was probably a month or two ago, I watched it right away because of how wild the comment section was. If you if you go if you go down on Shutter on on certain apps, uh, it will, or or in your phone, you can't really do it on your your television if you you're using Roku. But on Shutter, you can go down and there's people that comment on the bottom, and. It was so crazy, and people were so polarized by this movie, or they were defending it, that I had to check it out. Um, I was a little bit disappointed there was no butchers, bakers, or nightmares. No. Um, yeah. uh, is it is that like from like a nursery rhyme or something like that? Is that what that title's from? Because that's not much better than Night Warning. Oh, I, I mean, love, as far as like, I love the title. Is I it think- like a? It's a great candlestick title. maker, butcher baker, candlestick maker is like some kind of yes. kids yeah, but, thing. Yes. yes, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. The um, the tagline for this is a haunting rhyme for bedtime. What the not fuck? Not very haunt. There's no ghosts either. It doesn't. They don't. No one haunts either. <laughs> Does not add uh, up. So yeah, that's great. Uh, how to not uh, describe this movie? I like this movie. It was great to see a young Bill Paxton in this. Yes. That was one of the first things. I just started like jumping up and down, cheering. Like I'm the first one to watch this movie with a young Bill Paxton playing the quintessential high school bully, which is like one of my, like in 80s movies, that is like my favorite character. Uh, you know, Karate Kid. It's just like good. They, they always have feathered hair. And they always have short shorts, and they're just like the biggest D-bags ever. And this very much reminded, I mean, it didn't really remind me as much of like uh, a horror movie, uh, but it wasn't really a thriller. A, a it was rom-com? almost a comedy. It was like, <laughs> it, it, it was weird. Like, it could have been like, uh, up, no. like, I don't see Dave like some on the screen. Spielberg, like suburban thing, you know what I mean? But I mean, it did have a lot of de- uh, good deaths. I liked how they used lots of different weapons um, in this tire irons, uh, machetes, um, you know, butcher knives. I guess that's where the, the oh, butcher thing oh. comes in. Oh, Dave, so you dropped out um, right on uh, when we said uh, rom com. We lost you. Not slut shaming and not uh, being homophobic. And I think it, it's another good example of how. Horror, uh, you know, is usually ahead on a lot of these things um, being made, you know, by people who are on the outside of the film industry, the outcasts of, you know, all of it. Uh, Horror movies are completely different than everything. So I like this. I thought it was um, I thought I thought it was pretty smart for a stupid 80s movie. That's probably the best way to describe it. This is an actual, a progressive, smart, stupid 80s movie. <laughs> I'm upset that you actually said the detective's name because I was going to request that we only re- refer to him as Detective Homophobe. 
because that guy <laughs> is a night. He's so, so the only part of the title that applies is this detective is a nightmare, and so is Auntie Show. <laughs> Um, it's some great performances. Uh, I wish originally that uh, Bill Paxton, this is, I think, his first role. If not like a very early, he was like 17 years old in this. He was supposed to play Billy the lead. Um, yeah, but, and he wasn't well known. He was a, a nobody, so they went with um, Jimmy McNichol. Jimmy McNichol, and I was like, what was he in? Who the fuck is Jimmy uh, McNichol? He, he had done a, he'd done a lot of TV. He he was on a ton of TV. Everybody in this was somebody at the time. Yeah, Susan Tyrell is kind of legendary, who played Auntie yeah. Auntie Cheryl. Um, yeah, it, this is not a good movie, but this is again like Dave Trent. Like you guys tend to find these movies that aren't good, and then, but they're important. Like, be it in, like, the horror genre somehow, be it in the message that they're trying to send, um, like, you know, like Dave said, progressive. They're not good movies. This movie is actually horrible. The, my favorite scene of the entire movie... <laughs> my favorite scene of the entire movie was the opening sequence. I thought that was amazing. So Billy ends up in Auntie Cheryl's care because his parents leave him with her so they can go on a little getaway and then they have a car accident. Amazing sequence. And then when I finished the movie, I was like, why did everything after that seem so subpar? Oh, that was a totally different director and cinematographer that filmed the opening sequence, then they got fired, and they brought in William Asher and a different cinematographer, who have both go gone on to do nothing. <laughs> so it's like, all right. Asher did a ton of TV, man. I Love Lucy and all, all kinds of stuff. Okay, great. Yeah, that's really nice. Nice stamp of approval. <laughs> this is a terrible review. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. <laughs> but it is it is actually a very interesting movie in terms of like pacing. I think that Susan Tyrell's performance as Auntie Cheryl is so over the top that it's wildly entertaining. Um, I'm not saying it's like great acting, but it's like just watching her do the things she does. Uh, this is one of the most incestually creepy movies I've ever seen. Oh like, my God. How can you have like such a progressive uh, movie in the 80s? Uh, I mean, and Dave, like you're talking like in the 80s, like this stuff was like way ahead of its time. We've talked about movies in like the early 2000s where they're still dropping like homophobic slurs and stuff. And we're like, wait, what? That was like 2003. So this was like super progressive for then. But like you're talking, you have like incest and weird shit I, I don't know I appreciate the fact that I had to watch this movie I'll probably mm. never watch it again wow um, but it wow. is it is, it, it is a movie that uh, it, it deserves its place in cult classic status um, it is way ahead of its time and I appreciate what they were doing I can't fathom what it must have been like to put out a movie in 1981 where you have uh, a gay hero ultimately say in fact the only like two good people in the movie are gay and you know thanks trent um you know thanks but you know no thanks this movie was uh very fucking weird i'm not gonna say it wasn't sure uh, is but the woman that plays aunt cheryl is so fucking good at being very weird like cringy good at playing a incestuous, uh, murderous, crazy-eyed being. 
right off the bat, you know she's going to cause some shit. As soon as she's creepily holding that little tiny baby and kissing its little cheek, I knew that she had like a weird like Oedipus, weird like complex, like absolutely she was going to murder people. You don't kiss a baby's cheek like that with those crazy eyes. (laughs) There are many a twist and turn that I think were... I don't know. Some of them I thought were kind of easy to see coming. Maybe not all of them, but I was definitely a huge fan of that main detective, though, for sure. Uh, Definitely my favorite character, hands down. I feel like I could really relate to him on a personal level, um, especially with his stance on the homosexual community and his uh, vivid vocabulary. Just 10 out of 10. Definitely my daddy of the week. But I did appreciate the other detective, though, who was like, hey, uh, maybe we investigate some other avenues instead of just assuming that the gays are always evil and murdery and in a murdery thruple uh, situation. Um, So at least we had uh, that voice of reason in the mix. Things ended up working out for a couple people. Did they? Maybe. I don't know. A handful of people. It's a lot of one therapy. To two. Yeah, I think everything worked out great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after like a thousand murders. I thought it was funny. I I enjoyed this film, especially in comparison uh, to the other one of the week. It's just a weird fucking 80s, campy, incestuous film. But, you know, I didn't hate it. You guys have mentioned, you guys keep saying uh, incestuous, and mm-hmm. I want to be clear. There's no incest in this now. It's it's very clear no. that Auntie Cheryl wants to be incestuous, but- She's got the vibe. She's she got wants the incestuous to be incestuous. vibe. She wants to be incestuous. She wants that whether, dick. Yes, but she does. But even just badly. that makes you irked enough <laughs> to be so like, It's so disgusting. You know, it's, it's just so like- creepy when So she, what are you saying, yeah. Trent? Like, if you want to fuck your child, it's- and you don't. Well, I just want to be. Still okay. I just wanted to be clear. No, I just that want to get your stance on this. There's no. I, I'm not into no incest, but I just want to be clear that <laughs> there is no incest in this. But she definitely. Thank Cheryl, you for clarifying. Gives incestuous vibes for sure. Um, mm-hmm. You said, Kevin, that um, the only two good people in this were gay characters. I'm not sure if you're who you're including there. I, I think the. I don't think it's clear um, how Billy really is going to end up orienting if you're talking about him. Oh, I'm um, sorry. But I, I'm, I'm talk, I was talking like like not protagonists. Like Billy and his girlfriend, Julia, are, are clearly like good characters. But otherwise... I, I th- like, well, I think it's I think it's in question where, where Billy will end up. You know, who knows? I, I think that's one of the things that's a little bit ambiguous, and there are different little scenes and hints in the movie about that. But the, the kind of hero here is Coach Landers, who is... Um, the main gay character. And the thing that is so amazing to me about that is not just that this hero of the movie is is gay in 1981, and he's in the closet, of course, in the movie, but the way that it's treated and the way that his character is treated is way ahead of even all the current horror movies today because there's none of that, even in like the new Halloween movie, even in, um, we, we saw uh, Werewolves Within last year, a lot of the movies now that really like to sort of trumpet how progressive they are, they still seem to like throw gay characters in so often as kind of comic relief. And they always kind of have very stereotypical sort of affects and behaviors. In this movie, 
you would never you would never know that none of these stereotypical stuff is done in this. It's, it's just Coach Landers. And even when um, the detective, the homophobic detective confronts him in a, in a vicious fashion, it just isn't something you, you've never seen it presented this way. I certainly haven't in, in any horror movie. I think it's still way ahead uh, of the curve on that stuff by, by a lot. Again, I feel like this is a, a scenario that would happen to me not not because I'm coming out of the closet, but I always go for the milk. And the milk every day. I always go for the milk. I'm a milk guy. I drink it right out of the jug like that. I never miss. And, you know, there's a, she poisons him in this, and she puts it in the milk. He's kind of dumb. Good to like, know. You'd think, like, she does it to him, like, I don't know, no less than 11 times in the movie. Yeah, he drinks a lot of poison. <laughs> I'd be like, man, every time I drink this milk. He's lactose intolerant, obviously. They show him guzzling milk right away. That's like one of the first scenes. He's guzzling straight from the carton, and she, like uh, Auntie Cheryl, um, reprimands him for it. So then that's, of course, where by the time she's poisoning young Billy, that's where she's putting all the poison. And again, nothing is really, like, this is all just out in the open. It's, it's, she's, even the poison is just, like, right in the middle of the fridge. She doesn't even try to hide it, It's noticed. probably her milk. She's probably still lactating. And producing I milk. think that's the implication is that it's kind of, you know, a mother's milk type of... It's nice to see the old school milk in the, the waxed envelope uh, container that, that now you get them and they have the, the screw-off top in the middle of the container, which makes no sense to still have the, the top of the milk container go up to like a little roof like that. You know what I mean? You guys must have loved the, the hand... Uh, the the severed hand is like one of the oh. worst looking hand severs I've ever seen. It almost looks like the hand for a second is just tied to the uh, the light <laughs> s- string there, hanging there. There's hardly any blood coming out of it. But uh, but I did think that on balance, I thought that um, you know when you get toward the end, there's just this whole series of killings. I thought that the uh, the gore was actually pretty good. Not a lot of money put into this movie. Well, I actually, I, I I would agree and disagree. I think a lot of money did go into this, but it all went to the cast. None of the money went to this, the mm. practical effects. That's for sure. Detective Joe Carlson that we were talking about, that's um, Bo Svensson. He was in the original Inglorious Bastards and actually has a little cameo in the uh, Tarantino version. He was in a movie called Walking Tall Part 2. Oh, you guys yeah. must Walking remember that from the, guy the video. With the big stick. Yeah, the VHS. Yeah, it was, like yeah a... it was Walking Tall and Walking Tall Part 2. So he was in the second one. Julia Duffy beat out Daryl Hannah and Ali Sheedy for this part. Yeah. But also, yeah. The, the good cop cat, I think, that you're referring to, Sergeant Cook, mm-hmm. he was the store owner in Silent Night, Deadly Night. He's the guy that, like, when they close the store down, yeah. he's like, yeah. fuck it, yeah. let's get drunk. Yes. I knew he looked like a guy I really liked. I read, and I, and I couldn't find a citation for this, but I read that the writer of this, Alan J. Gleckman, was adopted, and that he came out as gay to his uh, adoptive parents, and they refused to believe him, and that he channeled a lot of that experience into writing this story, which would make a lot of sense. One of the other things that I was like actually like proud and excited to read about is the fact that this was nominated for a Saturn Award for the best horror film the year it came out. And that kind of blows my mind because it's not a great film, 
but I'm hoping that it was nominated based on like its progressive like values and like what it was really pushing forward. I would nominate it for the acting. The acting is great in this all around. These are all professionals as far as the performances go. Very strong. Kathy Bates level um, obsession. Susan Tyrell, who played uh, on Auntie Cheryl. It's, the word auntie is so creepy to me after this movie. I will never call anyone auntie again. <laughs> but she passed away in 2012. She filmed this and never watched it because she thought it was garbage. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Until four years before she passed. So she never watched this yeah. movie until 2008 and then said, oh, that's pretty good. Hey, I was curious if any of you guys noticed a major continuity error when uh, when Auntie Cheryl is uh, getting dressed up and primping for the TV repair guy. Shows her, like, in the mirror, and she's getting all pretty because she's going to try to seduce him. When he actually gets there and she begins the seduction, she's wearing an entirely different dress. Anybody notice that? I didn't. Definitely not. Uh, I know you noticed the boobs. Obviously. Good amount of boobs in this for early 80s horror. Definitely checking that box. It wasn't, wasn't the, the repairman was actually bisexual because the they had said that he was gay, but he had been married before. I don't know if that means he's ma- bisexual or um, that was also another angle to it. There was like an alleged rape that, you know, that's why she killed in, in self-defense. The first right. one was the repairman. Um, but that, you know, that was the hole in the story. So a lot of the detective stuff that was going on uh, played into the orientation yes. of the, the people, you know. Yes, and that that was the thing about Detective Homophobe. He his first instinct was correct. Thank you. He knew he knew that she was lying. He did not buy Cheryl's story that the TV repairman had tried to rape her. He knew that wasn't right, but his virulent homophobia, his uh I mean really blinded extreme him. homophobia blinded him and he went down the totally wrong path. I thought that was kind of Part of his uh, his arc and, you know, part of his uh, unfortunate, uh, just uh, incredible, one of the most bigoted characters we've ever seen in any yeah. horror movie. I mean, I haven't heard, just as a warning, uh, this many F-bombs since I was in like fourth grade or something. I mean, this is really, he, Detective Homophobe, is not shy about his mm-hmm. views. Yeah, when it starts, it's like an onslaught because at first you're watching it and you're like, oh, how can this be? so offensive to people and how are people so mad at this on in the comments and then once it starts as soon as the investigation starts it's an onslaught of f-bombs like crazy i think it's uh spoiler time i think we need i'm i'm gonna give a little warning if you hear that sound if you want to see Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, the, the episode is over. We're done here. We just have to talk about the big reveal. And if you haven't seen the movie, you should probably stop now because what you don't know through the... I mean, you, you maybe would guess when you're watching the movie, but the incestuous Auntie Cheryl is actually Billy's mother. Oh, no. <laughs> which brings the <sighs> which brings everything. You didn't think this movie could get sicker and uh, more stomach turning until you find out uh that uh it's not Auntie Cheryl, it's Mommy Cheryl. Yeah, and the and the whole reason 
she was his aunt is because the guy she got impregnated with was like, yeah, no, I'm all set. And so she was like, well, murdered. You've been murdered. You've been beheaded. You've been pickled in my basement. So I missed this whole thing. <laughs> so what? she was banging her sister's boyfriend and or no. husband. No, that would make too much sense. It doesn't. It's no, it is kind of. It's not <laughs> that. No, she so had a. Aunt, no, Auntie she, Cheryl's <laughs> not even by blood an aunt. Is that what you're telling me? This is blowing my mind. No, no that's she's, her sister. Yeah, that was her sister. What happened is that she got pregnant, but her boyfriend at the time, I don't think they were married, her boyfriend left. And so in these days, this is like old timey again now. She didn't want to be, it's kind of like, you know. A um, hag. Yeah, to be raising a, a child oh, as a single woman. Oh, so he woman. was like adopted. Yes, yeah, so her sister and her sister's husband right, adopted right, I'm Billy, I'm but she began to resent that, and then she. So that's why she fixed their breaks. Cut the breaks. By the way, um, if you didn't have breaks, Kevin, I would I would detract from your opening scene there a little bit with the car crash. If the brakes weren't working, there's no way that that car would be doing. The only way that car would be involved in the things that that car does is if somebody is slamming on the gas pedal to the metal it's like yeah, it's skidding around corners and nope it all adds like, up they're going cool. down a hill it's hill it's gravity <laughs> they're going up a hill i'm yeah, pretty sure no they're going it down skids a hill. into the dirt it skids into the gravel that car would have stopped a few times did you guys notice um when mommy cheryl when she's dying her last breath she grabs billy and gives him the biggest wet tongue kiss the most passionate did you see that it may have made me black out. This movie was so creepy. That may have been the end, the end of my brain's ability to to comprehend incest. And then she dies, and they kind of collapse back. in a sort of missionary uh, sex position on the floor. It's uh, sick stuff. You know, I, I like the 80s stuff that didn't make it to the mainstream so much because it's so... Yeah, we know. We've been watching them for I know, but it's year. like he, he was saying how this is inverted... It's like a place you go. It's like the dollar store where you can get like mint flavored cashews or something like that. You know what I mean? And it's it's like things that you don't expect. Yes. And, well, the, the under the radar ones are are the like that. It's because someone had such a cockamamie idea that it just cockamamie. it was so ridiculous. That's what makes it good. After revealing that Auntie Cheryl was his mom and she cut the brakes and now there's a secret shrine room and now there's a beheaded, zombified, like, corpse. I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but as soon as I saw her just pickling many vegetables and or eggs in the first scene or second scene, whatever, I knew I was like, somebody's fucking head is going to be in a jar (laughs) somewhere in this place. And I was right for once. Kat, you're up next week. What are we looking at here? I'm going for a nice summer loving theme. Oh. I know what you did last summer, obviously. Wow. You're welcome. Yeah. Boom. And The Burning. Wow. Ooh, wow. Oh. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you, Kat. I know what you did last summer and The Burning. Yes. Yes. 